Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You often hear the saying, there's two certainties in life, death and taxes. There's another certainty that comes in the middle of all that, and that's pain. Everybody's going to go through pain at some point in their life. And you need to remember that the people who have left you behind want you to be happy, want you to continue on, because life does go on. Welcome to Grief Encounters with me, Sasha Hamrog. And I'm Venetia Quick. We're a weekly podcast that looks at an issue that affects us all, and yet remains so difficult to talk about. We'll be chatting to guests from all walks of life on the subject of death and all that comes with it. Our main aim is to motivate, comfort and create a modern space for people to share their own experiences. Could you think of someone that could benefit in listening? Tell them about Grief Encounters out every single Tuesday. Today on the podcast, we spoke to DJ and radio presenter Andy Preston. Andy has experienced loss on many occasions throughout his life, and he talked to us all about that and what it has taught him. Um, sadly, Andy lost his sister Elaine, and his mother Marie died when he was just 21. Mm. His dad died a couple of years ago, and one of his closest friends died. So he's experienced grief at many different points throughout from, his life. Yeah, and from all angles. Mm. Oh, I thought it was very moving about Andy because it's a very, very honest and open Sort of no holes barred mm. um, episode. And I thought a lot of people do feel guilt when somebody dies about what they did or didn't say or perhaps how they acted around him. And often it's hard to vocalise that and it's hard to actually say it out loud. Mm. Well, I actually said this to them the week before they died or I didn't do this or I should have done that. or And there is a lot. I mean, I found it myself. There's huge probably unnecessary guilt mm. you know that it's just course, day to day yeah. I mean I've told people before the last text I sent my husband was empty the dishwasher do you know what I mean and it's like there is that no. thing and most people go well that's marriage yeah. that's a, you know but what I really admired about Andy in this was the fact that he openly admitted mm. that he probably wasn't the best brother yeah uh, in his eyes to his sister so when she passed away like he had this carried this huge guilt for years. Mm. Um. And it's, I think, what you're touching on there that's so important to remember is that even though people say you shouldn't feel guilty, that doesn't negate the fact that you do. Mm. Because, and it's important to talk about the fact that you do by just someone saying you don't need to feel that. That doesn't, that doesn't erase it. It doesn't mean you're not grappling with it. Sometimes you just need to get it out there and yeah. say it just like he does in this. What I really admire about Andy is he's really evolved through his grief. So he's taken the things that he's learned and the lessons he's learned about himself and the world around him mm. and it's and it's changed him as a person a lot of times people go through things and maybe they're not open to letting it change them or evolve them but he certainly has but I think it's quite nice by the end of it is he seems more at peace yeah. with himself than 
the very troubled person mm-hmm. he seemed to be when his sister died. Definitely. Today's guest has experienced loss on many occasions. He is the sole remaining member of his birth family and has also experienced the devastating loss of a best friend nearly 10 years ago. To speak about his experiences in grief and how that affects who he is today, we're delighted to be joined in the studio by DJ and radio presenter Andy Preston. Andy, can you give us a little bit of insight into your, your birth family and, um, and kind of what happened from there? Uh, well, myself and my sister were adopted by Tony and Mary and... My sister was the first to go. She was just two months shy of her 14th birthday. Um, Unfortunately, she'd been misdiagnosed with asthma um, when she was around three or four and was treated with that for many years. I remember her with her inhaler, Mm -hmm. shortness of breath and everything. Uh, But it turned out in the last three to four weeks of her life, it was discovered that she had a heart problem. And we noticed probably about a year before she passed she began to put on weight and she confided in a friend one day and we only found out about this afterwards that she used to do a paper round after school and um, there was a flat complex down the road from us that she had to deliver to and she was finding it tough to get up the stairs and everything and again this is something that we only found out afterwards and uh, yeah about three weeks before she passed away she ended up in Our Lady's Hospital and it was just only then that we found out how serious um, her condition was and it all happened so very quickly after that How old were you Andy when this happened? I was 18 Okay I was very young Yeah Yeah, I was 18 and the best way I can describe myself is as a a very angry young man and as much as I tried to blot it out I reacted in a very bad way to it. Um, I needed the attention of my parents at the time and you know, their mind was elsewhere and I, I've never told anybody this before. I remember there was one occasion about a week before Elaine died. Um, we didn't have a very good relationship, Elaine and I. Um, we just didn't get on and that was more from my side than hers. She tried with me and I just wasn't interested. Um and I suppose on my part, I felt a lot of guilt um, for the relationship that we could have had. And here we were being faced with losing her. Um, and all I felt was extreme guilt. And I remember just lashing out with my parents one night saying, I hope she dies. Mm. Uh, I never told That's a very hard thing afterwards when then somebody does die mm-hmm. is to deal with... Maybe things that you said that, you know, you shouldn't have said, but you did say them. Mm. And then afterwards, when there's perhaps an untimely death, then not only are you missing the person, but you've got to come to terms with the guilt and the the fact that they have heard you say stuff to them that wasn't very pleasant. Mm-hmm. That's that's a very difficult thing to do on top of losing somebody. And I carry that for a long time. I know they say when somebody dies, everything is wiped clean. Mm. You know, mm. but you still have to live it yourself. You have to still have to live with, you know, what you said. And even though you didn't mean it, you still said mm. it. You didn't have enough control over your own emotions Why do you to think keep you it all inside. Down through the years, was it like if there's a four year age gap, was it the age gap? Was it difficulties with perhaps having been 
maybe adopted was that or was it just a personality clash? Being adopted was never a problem for me mm-hmm. because my mother told me from a very early age where I came from. Mm-hmm. You know, she told me about, you know, the special lady who gave me up and mm-hmm. the gift that they received in me and my mm-hmm. sister. And, you know, so th- there was never a problem with that for me. You know, Mari and Tony were my parents and um, that that's the way it was for me. I think Elaine may have found it a little bit more difficult to deal with. I, I remember her saying, if I ever saw my birth mother, I'd hit her. Mm. So obviously, you know, it was a little bit more difficult mm. for, for her to deal with. But it, it was never a problem for me. I mean, I, I, I suppose like we were just two completely different people. Mm. Um, that, that's all I can I can put it down to. And, you know, looking back now, I can see that she tried with me. I just wasn't willing to try. And I mean, I was very driven at the mm. time. Like I'd, I was in my early years of working in radio, trying to work my way towards getting a job. Um, and that was all I was interested in. Mm. I didn't have time for family. You know, I remember my mother saying, I'd never see him. He's never yeah. in the house, you yeah. know. I was always out doing my own thing. thing. Yeah. It is, of I course, mean, it's, yeah. it's a normal yeah. thing yeah. for yeah. that yeah. age. With your sister, and you, I mean, we've talked recently to somebody whose wife died after being misdiagnosed. I mean, that's quite a long period of time for somebody to have been misdiagnosed or some, for something not to have been spotted. How do you feel about that now? Because obviously, you were very angry about mm-hmm. the misdiagnosis. Um. The anger is still there. It, it's, I suppose, just a mixture of anger and disappointment now at the life that was lost mm-hmm. because I would have loved to have seen what she would have done mm-hmm. with her life. Um, I think she would have ended up a teacher. It's something she spoke about now mm-hmm. in the last couple of years of her life. And after having like a pretty difficult time at school in her early years, I remember in, in her last couple of years she rose to the top of her class. So, I mean, that was that was a complete turnaround. But I definitely think if she hadn't ended up a teacher she probably would have ended up working with children because she was the resident babysitter for all our neighbours back in Trimna in the day <laughs> she babysat everybody's yeah. kids love kids you yeah. know and you know I still see one girl who she used to babysit Jennifer who only gave birth to her own child recently oh. I still see her around when I when I go back to Trimna so life goes on yeah you know one of the I think the reasons that we want to do this podcast is to talk about maybe debunk some of the myths around grief and what it actually can be and how it can be so different for everybody and I think talking about that kind of uncomfortable anger and guilt and stuff is like really really important because that's the stuff that makes people probably feel quite alone and the stuff that they're afraid to say Mm -hmm. like you said you'd never said that to anyone before these are the things that people are listening are carrying as well what did the grief look like in those first few years like what form did it take for you I pushed it away. I pushed it away completely. I wasn't there for my parents um, because I just didn't understand Mm. what they were going through. Only now that I'm a parent, I can understand, you know, what it meant to them to have lost a child. And, you know, we're all sitting here, all as parents, you Mm. know, and we couldn't imagine, you know, how unbearable it would be to, to have to go through that. When in the aftermath of the death, I just wanted to push it away. I didn't want to speak about it to friends. I didn't want to speak about it to family. And it was all my mother wanted to talk about. You know, whenever we were on our own at the house, the pictures would come out. She'd, you know, the memories would come out. And I just didn't want to know. I'd make my excuses and leave the room. And I mean, that's another guilt that I've carried over the years that I, I just did not have the words or the emotion to deal with mm. it in, in the way that I could deal with it now. You know, I can. I can speak to my dad's partner, Winnie, about my dad 
as I often do, feel very comfortable doing mm. that. And uh, that only kind of heightens the sense of guilt that I just did not, wasn't armed with the right tools back then to be able to deal with it and mm. to support them. But so. they do say as well, and I mean, it's one thing that we've discovered in the last few months is that grief is very unique mm-hmm. to every different person and everyone deals with it differently. And one thing I think what you're saying as well is for every person, the grief is different. So it's not just one grief is typical to you for whoever might pass away in your life. For every single person, that grief is going to be different. Absolutely. Um, It's different each time. And I've gone through it quite a few times now. I wouldn't say that it's got to the point where it's become acceptable. I mean, certainly when my dad passed two years ago, that was a long and drawn out process leading up to his death because he was he was sick for a long time. But by that time, I was certainly more prepared for it, you know, mm. or at least I thought, you know, until it actually happens, until you're told your dad is dead. Mm. Um, you don't know how you're going to deal with it, yeah. but, you know. And you lost your mom in between. Um, what age was she and, and what age were you when that happened? Um, I just turned 21 when my mother passed away. She so never, very soon. Yeah, it was three years, it was almost exactly three years. She never got over the loss of Elaine and played heavily on, on her mind and I remember exactly what happened. I, I, I was off with a friend one Tuesday evening and Gary got a call from another friend on his phone. Mobile phones were a very new thing at the mm. time. Not everybody had them. And he just said, Andy needs to get home now. His mother's just taken sick. Um, she was taken to St. James's Hospital just down the road from where we lived. Um, and it turned out that she'd had a brain hemorrhage. So, of course, I got straight down to St. James's Hospital and that particular time that I saw her was the last time that I saw her alive. Did you get to talk to her? Or? Very briefly. Yeah. Um, as you could imagine, I was in a state and she just kept saying to me, I'm okay, I'm okay, yeah. everything's going to be okay, it's going to be fine. Um, so that gave me a little bit of reassurance, mm-hmm. but... Uh, by the time the following day came around, she'd been transferred to Beaumont Hospital and she had a further brain hemorrhage then. Um, and at that point, there was a slight chance of uh, saving her life. Um, but the doctor had told me if she survives this, she's not going to be able to do anything for herself. And I thought, I'll look after her. I'll look at I just, just want her back home. I'll, I'll look after her. You know, I'll, I'll take the responsibility. But by the time Saturday came around, she had had another brain hemorrhage and all hope was lost at that point. And Sunday came around. Um, and that's when the decision was made to switch off the life support. And Mother's Day, 1995, mm. uh, she, she passed away. Such a poignant day as well mm. for that... To have, how did that change then your dad and your relationship? Because um, it was just the two of you then. It was just the two of us then. And I remember just a few short weeks before my mother died, my dad and I having an argument. And she said, you know, if I was ever around, the two of you would just never get on. So going forward then, I had that on my mind. You know, yeah. Gosh, was she right? How are, we going to, how are we going to cope with this? If anything, it made our relationship stronger. Mm. We had our arguments and everything, but, you know, we, it definitely made things stronger between us so if anything good can come come out of a death at least that yeah, did yeah. 
If you're looking for a safe haven to express how you feel, share articles, photos, and memories of your loved ones, join the Grief Encounters Facebook group, a place for support, compassion, and empathy for those grieving. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I found with my sister and I, when Mm. both our parents died, we definitely, the arguments that we would have had before, we started to stop having as much because the importance of that last person connected to you that knows that knows the history that knows everything that connects like it becomes a the most precious thing when you finally Mm. realize that all you have is each other in the world yeah I mean even if you have your own children Mm. and and you go on it's a a special that that original family is like it's a very important Mm -hmm. part of your whole story when your dad then passed what did that feel like I find that very frightening thing to think about how did it feel for you um, again, as I mentioned, um, I was prepared for it as prepared as I could be. Mm. I, I knew that it was coming, but I think I only realised that he was going probably a week before he actually did. Because when his partner said to me, the doctor said during the week that he won't see out the rest of the year. Now, this was in March 2017. Mm. Um, and it played heavily on my mind for the remaining week. And the, the great thing about my relationship with my dad is I've no regrets. Mm. I've plenty of regrets when it comes to my mother and sister. But with my dad, I told him everything that I needed to tell him. Every time I saw him, I yeah. gave him a kiss goodbye, a hug, I love you. Yeah. He knew exactly how I felt about him. Um, and he knew at that point in my life that I was happy. You know, I had a wife, I had children. So he knew at least that he was leaving me in at a good point in my life. So at least uh, he well, felt he'd done his. He felt he'd done, he'd done his done bit. His you know, yeah. he he left the world happy. Mm. I feel. I mean, after my dad passed, it's it's amazing just how quickly life goes back to normal. And it had to go back to normal. I had mm. a job to do. I had a family to look after. Mm. And you know, the week after he passed away, I was back at work, and everything seemed fine. And I remember working one Saturday night in a club about three weeks after he passed and the atmosphere was great everyone was enjoying the music I was enjoying it and I remember stopping for a second thinking is this right that I'm behaving this Mm. way and I thought 
you know, my dad would have wanted me to yeah. to have been happy. So, you know, he would be delighted like that I'm here, that I'm enjoying yeah. life and work is good, everything is good at home with my family and um and here I am enjoying life. So yeah. Yeah, there was a, there was a certain peace that mm. came over. But me sometimes after when somebody passes away, like you might go out and you might have a, you might have a good laugh. Mm. Do you know what mm, I mean? Yeah. And it's sort of, but that can be fleeting. That can be for those couple of hours, mm. and the next day that's gone again. Did and you ever find that? We all know that wave. Yeah. that comes over you just all of a sudden at the most inappropriate yeah. time. You can be anywhere. You <laughs> yeah, know, you can be sitting on a bus. You yeah. know, you can be in a shop, oh. and all of a sudden. Get the, wave the wave comes over yeah. you and, and the tears follow then and that's happened to me mm. so many times and you seems like you've really evolved over the years it seems like that's important to you that like you've learned something through each stage of these these things and by the time you you and your dad were left you kind of were practicing those things so gratitude and the relationship that you had with him mm. and I think grief does teach you a lot um, sort of about what's important have you found that it has kind of helped you evolve into a different person. They often say, you often hear the saying, there's two certainties in life, death and taxes. Mm. There's another certainty that comes in the middle of all that, and that's pain. Mm-hmm. Everybody's going to go through pain at some point in their life, whether it's the loss of a loved one, a relationship breakdown, you know, maybe your career not working out the way that it did. Um, pain is... I think the biggest test of anybody's character that um, anybody will ever go through in your life, how you deal with that is an enormous testament to you. Um, And you need to remember that the people who have left you behind want you to be happy, want you to continue on because life does go on. Mm -hmm. Um, There is a purpose, you know, whether you have your own family, your own children to, to look after it's uh, it's ever evolving all the time. So I hope that I'm following that process. And thank you very much for saying that mm. I appear to be. But oftentimes people don't have that self-awareness to want to change or to, mm. to look at themselves like you even being able to identify. I was very, very angry young man or I was I think a lot of people don't like they live in a place where they don't see those things about themselves. So therefore, they don't ever get to a place where they're kind of repairing them. Now, maybe mm. they do it subconsciously, but to be actually very honest about yourself and your flaws like it's vital, but not certainly not a given that everyone does it. I think there comes a certain point in your life when you have to start blaming others or, uh, you know, circumstances that, you know, happened in your life. You need to stop blaming. You need to take a long, hard look at yourself and, you know, realise your flaws and, you know, try to do something about it. And I tried, uh, you know, um, as hard as you know, the loss of my parents and my sister was. Um, my marriage came to an end a year ago shortly after my dad passed and that's probably the, been the biggest test of my character mm. um, that I've ever gone through. Um, it's still a recovery process for me. It's still very raw. Um, you know, while I, I'd like to say all the bitterness is gone and, you know, that, that unfortunately goes on and there's still questions that will probably never be answered for me. Um, I'm trying to deal with it as as best as I can and trying to to move forward. Would you describe that as grief in a way? It is grief. Yes, it is. Is the grief you're going through now, do you see any of that grief being similar to the grief you've gone before? Because you've you've lost like both your mum, your dad, your sister. So three you've had three different types of grief already. Do you mm. see any similarities? Do you see yourself reacting 
in a certain way that maybe was similar to how you did before? As much as my family meant to me, mm. um, I've never been closer to anybody in my life than I was to my mm. wife. And one of the things she said to me when it came to an end, you know, I said, why? And she said, pushing me away all those years. Yeah. And I did. Yeah. And I did. You know, the story I told you about my mum, um, the process leading up to her death, we ended up in marriage counselling a few years ago. And it came around to talking about my family and I went into the whole story about, you know, uh, how my mum passed away. And afterwards, my wife said to me, you'd never told me that before. Um, And it goes back to how awkward you feel talking to somebody about a loss when they've never been through that themselves, Mm. because it's difficult for anybody to without taking any Mm. credit away from anybody it's difficult to talk to anybody about that sort of thing when they've never been through it themselves come up all the time this comes up all that alienation this sort of thing and as we always say because i think people are there to try and help you and your friends are there to help you and Mm. you don't want to be dismissive of the help they're giving you so but there is a, a, a thing where unless you've actually really mm. been in it or you're living it, you've no. And like mm. I said before, yeah. you know, friend of mine who we've interviewed for this, Paul Harrington, lost a sister and two brothers. And I was with him through all of that. But yet I wasn't really mm. because how could I have possibly no. understood? And now I understand and I realise that while you're present, you're not really present. So you, see, you can't I, possibly I, understand. I, I think sometimes a person who's on the outside trying to be a support to somebody who's lost a loved one doesn't realise the comfort that's just there in their presence. You don't have to. You You don't have to offer up words, you know, because there are no words to offer up. Just your presence, you know, just, you know, holding the hand. But presence is a really good word because some Mm. people are afraid to show up. Mm. They're afraid to to go. You know, I think I remember wanting somebody Mm. to ask me to go for a pint Mm. because my friends, we've been close for so long and no one was asking me to go for a pint. Mm. And I really wanted to. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know how I was going to be when I got there after my mom died. Yeah. I didn't know how I was going to... I was worried about it. I was scared that I maybe would cry or get upset. But I still wanted to be asked. Mm. But the fear that they felt for maybe disrespect mm. as well, you know, worrying that you might be disrespectful by asking someone to do something kind of lighthearted mm. like that presence to just like make sure that you show up you might get the words wrong yeah (laughs) but don't don't not show up because then that changes the course of things I found I don't know if you could if both of you could relate to this I found you know in the aftermath of the loss of my sister mother and father the loneliest time is when everybody's gone Mm. when the funeral is over nobody's in the house anymore everyone's gone and when you're in that moment of the time Mm. You just don't want anybody mm. there. You you don't want, you know, people's, oh, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, you're a lovely person. And but, or else it's like, I mean, I used to find, I mean, we used to go out separately anyway because, you know, of kids yeah, and yeah, of finances or whatever. So a lot of people have said to me, aren't you great the way you'll go out with friends, yeah. but on your own? And I said, like, but that's what I always did anyway. Mm. The difference was... I'd come back and tell Martin all about my night or the next morning was, oh, this this hilarious thing happened or somebody did such and such. And that isn't there. And I think that is the thing that it's just, it's that interaction when you're shown maybe the Friday nights, Saturday nights you're in, the weekends are very long. Mm -hmm. No matter how busy you are with, you know, kids, whatever. It's, 
it's the behind closed doors time, mm-hmm. I think. And, and there's the, the difference, time. you know, between, you know, losing th- somebody through death and then a relationship mm-hmm. coming to an end, you know, the relationship coming to an end, you know, the person is still out there and, you know, and however much you want to call them or text them, yeah. you know, you just can't. Yeah. Um, and you also lost, I've seen you um, write about your dear friend Tony mm. um, a lot over the years that I've known you. And he feels like he was a really important person to you and a friend, the loss of a friend. We've talked to some mm. people about Mikey Graham in particular, but I mean, I know that if I were to lose some of my friends, like they're my lifeline, they're my center. Like these people are so important. What was what was that kind of like for you? Um, I know he was a really sounds like from all accounts, a really wonderful person. Absolutely. And uh, Ian, your producer here, you know, when I, when I was talking to him about doing this, first of all, I mentioned Tony and I said, oh, you probably never met Tony. He said, actually, I did. You know, when I was doing work experience in FM 104, he was working there and Ian recalls how helpful he was to Ian. And that just sums up Tony all over, uh, quite simply. The most beautiful man inside and outside that I've ever met. And he's been a hugely positive influence on my life. Um in his life and in death as well. And that all happened so quickly as well. I remember getting a text from him early one Sunday morning, it was the 28th of August, uh, 2010, and he told me that he had cancer. Um, and myself and my wife went up to see him then the following evening, um, and his sister was there, who was heavily pregnant at the time. And I guess it was just when we saw Marissa and how upset she was that we just realised how serious it was and he'd in fact diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Um, And bless him, he kept coming in to do his shows every week uh, while he was going through very aggressive chemotherapy. He'd come in, take over one of the studios, record his hour, um, and he did that right up to his death. And I remember the very last time I saw him was actually in FM 104. He'd come in to record his show and to look at him you just you would not know mm. because he just still looked like you know the bright fresh Tony with blonde hair and perfect skin every so often he'd have to hold himself up against a chair or a wall because his legs would just give way beneath him uh, and he came in that day and said to me he said well I've gone through the chemotherapy it hasn't worked so that's it bro um, and he hugged me and as I tried to move away, he just he wouldn't let me go. And it was only afterwards I realized he knew that that was the mm. last time he would see me. And about a week and a half later, he passed away mm. on the 25th of November 2010. And I was very proud to deliver the eulogy at his funeral. And I remember sitting there on the day uh, with my wife with pages and pages of what I've written. Um, and the priest had told everybody, please keep it short. And I remember saying to my wife, I said, I don't care, I'm just going to go for it. It's the very last thing I'll do for Tony, so mm. I'll say what I need to say. And it went on for about 20 or 25 <laughs> minutes or something <laughs> like that. You the music, come on, strike yeah, it. Yeah, that's it. Somebody told me afterwards the priest was sitting there <laughs> looking at his watch, like, and every few minutes he'd go to stand up and then I'd start talking yeah. again. <laughs> but as I said, it was the very last thing that I could do. From You know, apart from honouring his memory every year on social media, keeping in touch with his family. Um, uh, and th- there's funny little moments that always occur. I remember a staff member was leaving FM 104 a few years ago and we were all in a bar in town. And some of Tony's colleagues were there from the sales department, Shay and Katrina. We'd only been talking about Tony. Mm. And 
what comes on about two minutes later only Tony's anthem never too much by Luther Vandross and we yeah. all looked at each other <laughs> he's here he's here <laughs> that happens a lot yeah it does <laughs> um, uh, thank yeah, basically thank you thank so you, much Eddie. Um, for sharing your story with pleasure. us today pleasure thank you for having me Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.